Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Catherine Katie Newhouse. The murder-suicide. Saturday, March 19, 2022. Canton, Georgia. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to might contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. Family is reeling after a father shot and killed his 19-year-old daughter before killing himself. Police responding to a home on Bridge Mill Avenue in Canton Saturday. They found the bodies of 57-year-old Howard Newhouse and his 19-year-old daughter, Catherine Newhouse. Today, CBS 46's Patrick Quinn exclusively spoke with Chris Newhouse. That's the older brother of Catherine and son of Howard, who said this shooting was a tragic culmination of years of family struggles. A family shattered. Sorry, I'm, I'm pretty emotional, but uh... Chris Newhouse woke up from a nap Saturday to a bunch of texts and one life-changing voicemail. My mom says, Chris, I'm so sorry, you know, your dad shot Kate and killed himself. And I'm like, uh, my hands are shaking. He couldn't believe it. He was just with both of them at his parents' Canton home earlier that day, before the crime tape. Milkshakes with his sister, working on the car with his dad. So he, he's not gonna be able to, you know, see me. <clears throat> He's not going to be able to see me graduate or, uh, you know, anything like that. Chris has seen the headlines. He said he only agreed to an interview so he could provide context. This shooting, he said, was preceded by years of family strife. A tragic kind of culmination of all these different mental health issues that kind of compounded. Chris doesn't know why his dad grabbed a gun, but explained how his sister Catherine, who identified as transgender, suffered from years of mental health issues, including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and autism. He said it was just before the pandemic that things worsened at home when she was sent back home from an inpatient mental institution. And that's whenever a lot of the stressful stuff started happening. Clayton County issued a Maddie's call when she went missing in March 2020. He said his parents struggled to calm her mental health episodes when she returned to Canton. Neighbors told me these episodes often extended into the streets. The police were called out multiple times. On Saturday, police returned. This time, so did the coroner for Chris. He said there's some sense of healing amidst unbelievable heartbreak. I know he loved me a lot as well. So that's at least what brings me peace. And it also brings me peace knowing that like Kate's in a better place now and she's like free of the burden with these mental health issues and she can finally like live a normal life. 
It's Saturday, March 19th, 2022, in the city of Canton, Georgia. It would be the home where 19-year-old Asian-American neurodivergent transgender female Catherine Katie Newhouse resided. And when she was discovered, shot multiple times by the hands of her father, it would leave this family completely shattered. Welcome my audience to season four, episode 12, our finale, the murder of Catherine Katie Newhouse, the murder-suicide. This case, my audience, is a tale of a family like so many others. Idyllic, you have a father by the name of Howard, a wife and mom by the name of Amy, a son by the name of Chris, college, soon to be graduating. And then you have this incredible 19-year-old college sophomore who was in the midst of her life, navigating her autism journey. And that would be their youngest, Katie. Described as a lover of Minecraft and puppies and also just really loving math such as geometry and really figuring out shapes and all of that. This incredible, beautiful 19-year-old had her whole life ahead of her. And the dynamic between Katie and her father, Howard, was one that was very complicated. As we go through this case, we're going to hear a little bit more about the city of Canton and where Katie was residing for the past five years with her family after they relocated from Illinois. We're also going to hear a little bit more about the psychology of murder-suicide, especially when we think of amongst families. I also want to take a moment and hear from some other father and daughter relationships too, especially those uh, where the fathers are identified as cisgendered men and the daughters are identified as transgendered females. What does that look like? And we have some shows that really highlight that, um, especially experience for our communities. And then lastly, an incredible vigil that was held out in Piedmont Park um, in the um, city of Atlanta to honor and highlight the beautiful life of Katie Newhouse. This case compelled me, my audience, um, just because when we think about fathers and daughters, you know, there's this incredible song by the artist John Mayer, Fathers and Daughters, and he says in the lyrics, fathers, be good to your daughters. And I found that very interesting as I was reflecting on that song and then thinking of Katie's relationship with her own dad. Um, we'll under We'll hear a little bit more about like, the domestic violence essentially that went on between Katie and her dad um, and how that delved over into mental health and ultimately um, led to this hateful homicide on that Saturday, March 19th of 2022 in Ken, Georgia. But what I would like to do now is just take a moment, my audience, and hear more about where Katie and her family, the new houses, were residing in Canton, Georgia. Thinking about moving to Canton, Georgia, in this episode, we're going to go over the top five reasons why people are moving to Canton, Georgia. Let's get into it. Number one, proximity to the North Georgia mountains. You're exactly 
40 miles north of Atlanta, Georgia, but you're also close to Ellijay, Jasper, Blue Ridge for outdoor fun recreation. Water access is also a super important part of that outdoor recreation time. So you've got the Etowah River, you've got the Tacoa River, you've got the Cartier River and Ellijay. All those are fun rivers if you like to kayak, if you like to fly fish, if you like to do anything of that nature, if you like to just as simple do a summer tube trip, you could definitely do that. Number two, Parks and Recreation. The Etowah River Park is awesome. It's right in downtown Canyon. You've got walking trails, you've got biking paths, place to take the dog, green space, and playgrounds. You've got Veterans Memorial Park off of Highway 20, which they are actually building a brand new gymnasium, which is awesome. They've got a skate park. They've also got softball fields and baseball fields and soccer fields. And then we also have Bowling Park, which is an old school, one of the oldest parks in Canton, Georgia. It's right behind Cherokee High School, right along the Etowah River. You're not going to miss Bowling Park. Three, community. So first Friday, summer concert series in downtown. The city of Canton has an 18-wheeler trailer that pulls up and has a stage that unfolds. And they've got vendors there. So the first Friday of every month, they have a cool concert series. Two festivals, all kinds of fun festivals throughout the year. You got the Brews and Wings Fest, you've got the Multicultural Fest, and then you also have a farmer's market in downtown Canaan every Saturday, starts at 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. You got and what you could hear my audience is a little bit about the city of Canton. And again, it's 40 miles north of Atlanta. And one of the things that Katie loved to do in her new home of Canton, Georgia, was to attend some of these incredible festivals that was mentioned by Greg Gold, um, such as the multicultural festival. She was actually wanting to be part of the curating experience and start highlighting um, the importance of our TGI communities as well as our neurodivergent communities too. A very outspoken and passionate advocate for both causes, Catherine was really determined to, you know, not only navigate her own mental health um, challenges, but also get to a place where she could provide her own testimony and a source of um, inspiration for other community members who were also navigating mental health and even navigating relationships with their families. When the Newhouse family located to Canton, Georgia in the fall of 2016, Katie at the time was a freshman entering Cherokee County High School, which you could hear Greg mention. There she navigated and would ultimately graduate in 2020, um, just two years before her hateful homicide. But her entire high school experience, which is also when she came out within her truth, was all done in Canton, Georgia. And this experience for Katie, while it was really well received by her mom and her brother, her father struggled with his baby girl identifying as such. Unfortunately, this caused this family to have physical fights, literally Howard choking Katie in April of 2019, according to court records. And then you also have in March of 2020, just two months before Katie graduated from high school, from Cherokee County High School, where she gets into this altercation with her dad. And this results in a cup being smacked out of his hand, and the cup hitting his nose, causing lacerations. This was the family dichotomy that Chris was referring to. And by that Saturday, 5.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Canton, Georgia, the 19-year-old would be dead 
her mom, Amy, completely shocked to see her husband that she's been married to for 30 years to have not only committed this hateful homicide against their own child, their youngest, but then he turns the gun and shoots himself. This left this new house family, this family of a dad and a mom and a son and a daughter now completely shattered and fractured. This murder-suicide, this idea of a father killing his daughter, was it because of how she identified or was it simply due to his own mental health challenges? And as we continue to go through this case, my audience, I want to give you an idea of what that looks like when we think of the psychology of murder-suicides. There was a case back in 2015 specifically that really focused on an individual who not only murdered his um, himself, but also his entire family. And it really provides you into this context as to, again, the psychology and psychopathy of why, especially a lot of our cis men, um, also known as patriarchs of some of these families, do the unthinkable by murdering their families and then committing suicide of themselves. Answering the question, why? New tonight, our Jacqueline Iglesias is looking into the psychology behind murder suicides. He believes and would rather see them dead than to live a life that he doesn't think he can control or take care of. Dr. Donna Cohen spent the last 15 years studying murder suicides across the world. She says Darren Campbell will likely be labeled a family annihilator. This is where a person, usually the male, uh, rarely a female, uh, kills the entire family. She tells us cases like the Campbells are rare. In 2012, a study reviewed 600 cases of murder-suicide. Of those, only 3% involve family members. But she says she's not surprised investigators are looking into possible financial issues as a motivation for the killings. In all likelihood, the perpetrator living in this palatial home, taking care of his kids, may have really been hurting inside and believes that they're as miserable as he is. She describes perpetrators of this type as having mental health issues, the need for control, and a perception they cannot do what needs to be done to keep their family together. The perpetrator doesn't think the way you and I think. They have black glasses on. They distort their world. Cohen points to data showing in a third of these cases, the perpetrator starts a fire to cover up their crime. The way of saying nobody's going to see the awful thing I did, they'll just see the ashes. In and as you could hear from Dr. Cohen, this type of psychology um, it's really evident, and this is something that she had been struggling, um, excuse me, studying um, for at least 15 years um, prior to the hateful homicide of Katie Newhouse on that March 19th of 2022. Again, my audience, Katie Newhouse, born in 2002, to Howard Michael Newhouse and Amy Newhouse. 
Katie was described as someone who was very proud of her Filipino heritage. She embodied that from her mom, Amy. Um, her dad um, identified as a cisgendered white male, um, so he grew up with that experience. But really her Filipino culture came from that of her mom, and it was also that Filipino culture that was taught to her and that she grew up in, as well as her older brother, Chris. The family was immersed not only into the Filipino culture, but then also just um, their own family unit, um, primarily living in Illinois. The family again relocated to Canton, Georgia, just to kind of get away from the cold weather. Um, Howard had also navigated his own medical health struggles, and so warmer weather seemed to be what was a little bit more um, welcomed for them. The family ultimately chose Canton, Georgia due to its affordability and also its proximity to Atlanta. This would allow the family to be able to make direct flights back and forth from Atlanta to Chicago whenever they were visiting family in the Illinois area. But the relationship for Katie and her loved ones was really powerful. She had an incredible friend by the name of Journey Jennings who described Katie also as her own little sister and how um, Katie's love for um, animals and volunteering at the veterinarian clinic and then also just her love of raising awareness around autism and also how that does impact our trans and gender non-binary and intersex and two-spirit communities. All of these things really impacted and highlighted Katie's truth and motivation to continue to be an advocate for change and part of that her own navigating as a mental health advocate um, as a neurodivergent advocate as well as a trans advocate was to make sure that her family understood that too the advocacy piece on unfer and affirming her truth and unfortunately what happened was you would see is that Howard her father could just never really get there um, this, again, as I mentioned earlier, this led into several instances of domestic violence. The family um, lived, again, in a beautiful area off of the Bridge Mill Avenue area, the 1100 block, where this a hateful homicide occurred, this murder-suicide of this beautiful 19-year-old Asian-American neurodivergent trans female by the hands of her father. And we have to ask ourselves, our, my audience, what does that look like for our trans community when a person becomes empowered in their truth they share with their family right this is part of that coming out process as it's coined we don't know far too often we've heard again about the cases of family members kicking that community member out right their child out of the home simply for identifying as trans or non-binary or intersex or two-spirit but we, we've also covered a couple of cases, uh, one in season three, Daddy's Girl, the murder of Brie Golick, and then also the murder of Jasmine Kennedy and J.J. Wright, the Mommy Dearest murder from season four. So we've heard of a couple other cases where parents do um, commit these hateful homicides against their children who identify as trans or non-binary simply because they cannot accept their truth and by killing right by committing this hateful homicide of this loved one as you could hear from what dr cohen said in the cases of the new houses it was really howard maintaining that stature of what his 
idyllic family should look like. And for him, that did not include his trans daughter. And because of the shame and blame that he had on himself, and he will talk about this with his extended family members, his own brothers, and even disclosing to others about how it was really hard for him. You know, he um, was 38 at the time that Katie was born. And so he came from a whole different generation of thinking. Um, and he also more aligned with the Republican side of, um, of things. And so his ideology, his political beliefs, all of those things did not coincide with Katie's truth. And unfortunately, it led to the hateful homicide and as well as the murder-suicide of Katie Newhouse and Howard Newhouse. Senators are asking questions after they say a father killed his teenage daughter and then himself. CBS 46's Patrick Quinn is live in the neighborhood near Canton where this happened yesterday. Patrick, what are you learning about this so far? Well, this all happened less than 24 hours ago, actually just about three houses down from where I'm standing right now, a double shooting and police are telling us that the wife, she was actually in the house at the time when the father shot his 19 year old daughter before turning the gun on himself. Now, right now, investigators, they are still not telling us a motive or what have might have led up to this double shooting only that officers were called out just before six o'clock last night this happened where i'm standing on bridge mill avenue in the bridge mill subdivision two people were dead inside again the wife and mom she was the third person in the house at the time of the shooting police say this is the first time they can remember being called out to this neighborhood for a murder investigation so at about 5.45 this afternoon, our deputies responded to this home here on Bridge Mill Avenue in the Bridge Mill subdivision in reference to the person who had been shot. When they arrived on the scene, they discovered two people were deceased. It appears that a father, um, 57-year-old Howard Newhouse, shot his daughter, 19-year-old uh, Catherine Newhouse, and then took his own life. And I have been in touch with detectives, investigators this morning. They're not at this time able to pass on any new updates into this case. I have also been talking with neighbors. They tell me that this family was very private and obviously they just mourn for the entire family involved, as you know. Uh, and as we mentioned, two of three members now dead this morning, the wife, uh, the lone survivor. We'll have more updates and we'll pass them on uh, throughout the morning. We're live today in Cherokee County, Patrick Quinn, CBS 46 News. And as you could hear, this case completely rocked the city of Canton. This was the first time a murder had been committed in the Bridge Mill subdivision. Amy Newhouse, the wife of Howard Newhouse and mother of Katie and Chris, discussed that this double tragedy left her completely blindsided. She mentioned that she knew that her husband struggled with accepting their daughter, but never ever did she think that he would murder her and then himself in the home that they shared for over five years with said daughter. When she had to give that death notification to her son, Chris, she recalls hearing him scream out in agony and pain and shock and she said that was more heartbreaking than her own realization that her daughter was no longer here. And it was due to the hands of her husband for almost 30 years. 
this case by audience, Detective um, and Captain Jay Baker, who covered this case. Um, and again, because this case was very, as it's, it's coined, very open and shut, um, you know, it was really important for him to also investigate it properly. Both of the bodies were taken to the coroner's office. Also, just to provide a little bit more context as well, just to assure that there was no hint of a potential double murder. Um, Amy Newhouse was also, her, her fingerprints were tested for gunshot residue. So all of these additional like um, logistics into the hateful homicide of Katie Newhouse were done to assure that without a doubt that it was by the hands of her father, 57-year-old cisgendered white male, Howard Michael Newhouse. Again, my audience, when we think about fathers and daughters, it is an important topic. For some of us, it's a relationship that's very near and dear. For others, it's a relationship that's very estranged. Some of us have a dad. Some of us don't. But if you do, like in the case of Katie Newhouse, what does it look like being a trans person coming out to your family, especially your dad? And then wondering what that journey is going to look like for you two going forward. Let's see what one example looks like. Well, excuse me. Let's see what one example looks like. Let me listen on the Dr. Phil show. feeling right now, Gary? I'm hurt bad. Really bad. What do you, what do you have to say? Why? I just, I just want you to know that you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. What do you have to say about his reactions to this? I mean, you, you can see this is very raw for him. What are your feelings about about the impact on 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 your father, Gary? I'm, I'm really hurt, and I'm, I was kind of scared, honestly. Just seeing his reaction, how I don't know if it was anger or if it was just upset. What do you want from him? I just, I, I just want you to understand that this has nothing to do with how you raised me or anything like that. And I just want you to be okay with, I just want you to be okay with me being transgender. Steph, he feels like he's failed as a father. He feels like he, he let you down. He's gone back to the point of, he says one time for Halloween, yeah. uh, Talk about that. He dressed up like a girl. I thought it was funny at first. Now I certainly don't. What was the age? High school, maybe. It was, it was during high school. 
and your reaction at uh, the time? I thought it was Halloween. You know, so I just went along with it. Actually pinched him on his behind and said he made a good-looking girl, but I was only joking. He's not a good-looking girl. He's a very beautiful man. Right. He feels that he's failed you as a father. Do you feel that this is a, a choice you've made? No, I, I've always been like this. I just hid it from everyone. How do you feel about it? I just feel like this is me. This is this is who I am. And how long have you hidden this? As early as seven years old. I don't think he understands the burden that that is, how much energy that takes, how that affects you to live an inauthentic life. Just imagine waking up every day and seeing and being someone that you don't want to be. What do you, what do you hear in those words? What, what do you hear? I hear confusion. So you hear someone that is confused, mentally ill? Yes. What if this is not a mental illness? What if this individual is pre-wired to be a woman, but in a man's body? Just, I'm saying, what if that is the case? What could you imagine that experience would be like for that person? Pretty hard pretty hard and as you could hear Gary describe the relationship with his child his daughter as very challenging to accept but he wasn't the only father in my audience who was struggling with accepting his daughter there was another show um, just a few months ago um, the Karamo show if you recall him from the real world and he became his own host of an incredible show. And he too interviewed, like Dr. Phil, another um, dynamic relationship between a cisgendered man and his transgender daughter. His two children treat him as if he's not living at all. I want y'all to take a look at this. I need Karama's help to my family back together. I know I made my, uh, mistakes in the past, but I love my kids. When they were young, we was happy. But when I got incarcerated, everything had changed. I blame myself because I should have been there. But I also blame Bree. My kids don't call me, check on me. I didn't even know Michaela was even pregnant. I just feel hurt and I just want everything to come back together. I'm 51 years old and I want my family back. Well, before I talk to Layton, I'm going to talk to his daughter, Ariana. Please, everyone, welcome Ariana to the show. So I just saw that video for the first time of your father. How do you feel about what you just saw? Oh, 
if we gonna come on here, let's be like, let's come correct. We're all grown. So yeah. to blame other people for like stuff that you did as a man, as a father, is just like. So what did he do that's causing him to feel like he's lost his family? Or in your opinion, what did he do to lose his family? Uh, well, for one, I mean, he's never really been in my life. The only memories that I have of my father is like traumatic experiences. Got it. And um, so I'm transgender and I don't really know how he feels about it, but it's like, it's, it's wishy-washy. It's like, I want my family back, but at the same time, you need to acknowledge me as your daughter. I'm not your son. Yes. So does he still interact with you as if you were his son? He doesn't respect your transition? Um, well, to my mom, he still refers to me as his son. How does that make you feel knowing that your father is still not in a space to respect you? It hurts my feelings because it's like, I fought so hard to be here and I've been through a lot. I feel hurt that, you know, I can't have my mother and my father. When was the last time you saw Lee? I saw him at my sister's graduation. Okay. What no, was not my like? graduation, my sister's graduation. Guess he won his son back, but um, he's dead and gone, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> so what was it like when you saw um, Layton at your sister's graduation? It was, I felt like he was just another person off the street. So why so would did I? did you ever have that bond, like, at all? No. So why do you think in his mind does it feel like he thinks that you all have that relationship? Because I'm watching the video the same way you did, and it sounds like, hey, I'm a dad, I want to be there, and like all these things, but I'm hearing something different from you. I mean, maybe when I was younger and he had his son, like, um, but um, I can't recall a time where it was like, yeah, my dad, like, I just remember the bad memories, so. Yeah, yeah, what were those bad memories? Um, well, I could recall him coming home, being drunk, and taking it out on me, like physically, and are we still on for three? And as you can hear my audience, it was really traumatic for Ariana to just relive those experiences by her dad. And the relationship between her and her dad was one of those that was gonna take some time to continue to navigate. But as we go back into the case of Catherine Katie Newhouse with her own dad, Howard, it gives you a little bit of idea of what these fathers and daughters were facing. In one conversation on the Dr. Phil show, you could hear Gary struggle with navigating his own daughter Z's relationship. But then on the other hand, you could hear on the Karamo show how Ariana was really struggling with connecting with her dad because of the only experiences she had with him were abusive ones. Unfortunately, those abusive experiences were very similar to those of Catherine and Katie Newhouse, our beautiful 19-year-old Asian-American neurodivergent transgender female who was brutally murdered. This hateful homicide committed on that Saturday, March 19th of 2022 in Canton, Georgia. And well, as we continue to go through this case, I want you to understand that the relationships for our trans folks with their parents are so fragile. Oftentimes, if we do get relationships with families that are supportive and affirming, sometimes they are very few far in between. The experiences that you heard from two different shows at two different time periods gives you an idea of the complexities that a lot of trans folks face when coming out, um, with telling their truth to their families because of being misgendered, because of being isolated and not feeling connected. And these are the things that we want to continue to work on, my audience. If you have a loved one um, 
who is trans, maybe it's a sibling and your family too is struggling, by no means am I encouraging you to put yourself in harm's way, but I am encouraging you to advocate as much as you can in whatever space that looks like for your loved one, because the relationships that we have as a trans community can become fraught if not sustained. And so that's the goal here with this episode is to really make sure that we start to raise awareness around the domestic violence. And so many times we've covered cases of intimate partners, but we don't really think about by the hands of a parent to a child. And this case is what this is about, a father who was incapable of being able to support his child's mental health journey as an autistic trans youth, but then also his own mental health struggles with accepting his child's truth. I also want to take a moment, my audience, and think about those who loved Katie and how they came together for her at Piedmont Park by her own father. Dozens of people showed up at Piedmont Park tonight to honor Catherine Newhouse. There she is. She was killed in Cherokee County just a couple weeks ago. Channel 2's Michael Seiden was at tonight's vigil and explains how this woman's friends are using her tragedy to spread awareness about the threat the trans community is facing. They gathered inside Piedmont Park for more than an hour. She was like a little sister to me. Um, and, um... She was a real sweetheart. Supporters of the LGBTQIA community coming together Monday night to honor the life of 19-year-old Catherine Newhouse, an Asian-American transgender woman who police say was murdered by her own father inside their family home. Investigators say he shot and killed her before turning the gun on himself last month. I would have never imagined something like this happening with someone like her. We shared a love of IT. We had a passion for transgender rights. We adored fashion. Monday's memorial served as more than just a tribute to Catherine. I want people to realize that violence against trans people and violence against autistic people and violence against Asian American people is real and it's an epidemic. In fact, according to the Human Rights Campaign, 2021 marked the deadliest year for transgender and gender non-conforming people in the U.S., with at least 50 people being killed. I don't want stories like Catherine's to be swept under the rug. I want, I want change and action to come from this. I think it's important. Channel 2's Michael Seiden joining us now live from Piedmont Park. Michael, a very emotional night for all the people who were there. And there's still a lot of unanswered questions about her death. Were you able to get any more insight on that? Yeah, you know, talking off camera with Catherine's friends, they still have a lot of questions. They said that she really had a tough upbringing. They also said she was in the process of trying to move out the West. Now, we asked them as far as the motive in this shooting. Uh, it's all speculation right now. Police haven't confirmed anything, but they believe that there may have been some type of issue with her transition. Again, though, these are uh, questions that we may never get answered. When and again, there are some questions that we won't get answered to, according to news anchor Michael Seiden. As we prepare to conclude this case, my audience, our season four finale, episode 12, the murder of Catherine Katie Newhouse, the murder-suicide. Again, I want us to really understand why it is important for us to continue to raise awareness. As of 2023, more than four states have started to introduce anti-trans bills. These bills are not only navigating and impacting how our community 
utilizes transgender health care, especially for our minors under the age of 19, but then also for trans individuals who are trying to navigate sports. Then we also, as we heard in a couple of other episodes around anti-drag bills. So now as of 2023, we have two policies, two bans that are coming into place, anti-trans and anti-drag. And my question to you is, are you gonna be the change that you wanna see? Are you gonna help us raise awareness and assuring that victims of the trans experience, victims of the neurodivergent experience, of the AAPI experience and so many other intersectionalities are continuing to receive the support and affirmation that is deserved. I encourage each and every one of you to do that. And as we prepare to conclude, I want to give you some information. We'll be kickstarting season five um, back um, within the next several months. And so there's going to be some great updates there. And season four's content will be updated to our website within the next few weeks. So again, thank you all for your continued support, Grow and Glow. I saw that we have 150 followers on Spotify, so that brings me joy. And it also brings the victims joy to know that their voices are valued. So in conclusion, to our beautiful Catherine Katie Newhouse, born 2002 and resting on since March 19th of 2022. We remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever and always. Thank you, my audience, again for tuning in to season four. It's been a crazy season, but we got through it. And I look forward to connecting with you all again in a few months for season five. Please feel free to catch up on seasons one through four. Follow us on A Hateful Homicide on um, Instagram. You can like us on Facebook. And then please feel free to check out our website as the content continues to update at ahatefulhomicide.net. Thank you. Please enjoy the rest of your day. Have an incredible spring and summer. And we will connect very soon. Thank you again for your support. Bye-bye.